Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We are looking at a character, that, the character of Joseph. Maybe who's, who here has seen the play um, uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? And you just put up hands. Three of you. Four. <laughs> No, actually, I haven't seen it either. So uh, uh, I do. I, do, I actually did mean to watch it as sermon prep. See, so you think that that pastors do nothing, right? Apart from Sunday, well, we we do do research during the week, and uh, I was going to do some research in preparation, watch watch uh, Joseph in the Technical Dream, but I didn't get a chance. So uh, maybe this week we'll see how it goes. Hey, uh, but Joseph is a great story sits at the end of the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible and it contains a whole bunch of amazing literature. And it it moves. If you know Genesis at all, the first three chapters is the creation narrative. And we journey through it and we see how God creates humanity, creates the world, and then it gets broken at the fall. Theologians call it the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And you see everything go to pot. And you see in the very next chapter, you see Cain and Abel fight. You see Cain kill Abel. And there are a whole bunch of other crazy stories. You've got the Tower of Babel. Uh, You've got these giants coming down amongst the land. And then you get to the story of Noah. And you know the story, at least from a distance. There's a great flood that covers the earth, but God saves Noah in a big boat. And then there's a kind of break, and there's a shift when we get to Genesis chapter 12. And we see this person, Abram, whose name gets changed to Abraham, and God comes down and makes covenant with him. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm choosing you. I'm calling you out from your family and from your tribe. I'm calling you out of Ur, and I'm moving you to a new place, and I'm going to bless you. I'm choosing you, and through you, and through the generations that come after you, not only will you and your family be blessed, but a nation will come out of you. And through that nation, all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's a covenant made to Abraham and his family, which ultimately becomes the people of Israel. And then you follow the journey of his family. Theologians call it the patriarchs of Genesis. And so you've got Abraham, which goes to Isaac, which goes to Jacob, and then finally to the person that we're going to be journeying and looking at over the next six weeks, the person of Joseph. And what's really interesting is you look at these stories, all these motifs that right through Genesis tend to come up. I love what Jordan Peterson, who is not a theologian, but has studied Genesis from a psychological point of view, he says that the Bible is full of hyperlinks. I love that thought. Whenever you see words, you see phrases or ideas in the book of Genesis, it's kind of like you double click on it because in it, it's, it references back to a whole bunch of other stories. That word or that idea or that motif or that subject has been used in other places. And when we journey through the book of Joseph, I want you to be thinking this way. Maybe grow your language and your understanding of, of Genesis, of the Bible, because these motifs that come up in the story of Joseph are actually motifs and stories that anchor themselves in creation and follow right through the whole of the narrative arc of Scripture. 
Ideas like sin, deception, the pit, death, exile, the division of siblings, the favoritism of parents, dreams, promises, covenant, reconciliation, redemption. These are all themes that we see sitting at the heart of the Joseph story that work their way through all of Scripture. They are hyperlinks. And so as we journey through, if you see these motifs, just underline them. Even on your phone, highlight them. Be aware of them. And I will seek to highlight some of them tonight. So why don't we dive into this story, hey? Let's, let's get going. So it starts in Genesis chapter 37. If you've got your phone or your Bible, just pull it out right now because you want to keep looking at it as we go through. And, it's, and we're going from Genesis 37, so the first book of the Bible. And let's read this together. Genesis 37 verse 1. The words will be on the screen behind me as well. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Let me just hit pause here for a moment. Have you, do you have any siblings who are like Joseph? Are you a sibling like Joseph? Are you the one that dobbed on your brothers or sisters when you were growing up? Just a, just a moment of confession. Anyone like that? No, of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. It's interesting when we see the word bad report here, it actually means lie. It's a false report. So Joseph here, the second youngest in the family, is going around and he is spreading lies to his parents about his siblings. What a rat bag. It's human nature. I'm seeing it with my own kids at the moment. Anyway, let's keep going. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate, he made a technicolor, I actually think is the, is the, is the Hebrew word, a technicolor robe for Joseph. And I have here the actual robe that was given to Joseph. And, uh, and don't you like it? It's, uh, it's pretty snazzy. How, are, are you feeling a little jealous now that, I, that you don't have one of these bad boys? Yeah, well, too bad you. It's kind of like a dressing gown gone wrong. Anyway, let me keep reading. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. That's a pretty good dream, isn't it, guys, brothers? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a great dream. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? 
And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars, remember he had 11 brothers, were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. As we begin this story, as we dive into the person, the story of Joseph, we see that he is a precocious teenager, 17-year-old, who is naive and immature, but he also carries a dream from God in his heart. You know, there's something about being a 17-year-old, being a teenager, that does make you ambitious, that does kind of give you, you know, young people have a dream in their heart, but it also does mean that more often than not, they're immature and don't really understand how to use or understand themselves in their body or in the context of community, the family in which they live. You know, test science does tell us that uh, the human brain has not fully developed until around the age of 25. You know, the prefrontal cortex of the brain is still developing up to that age. And the prefrontal cortex is really important for key things like complex decision-making, planning skills, impulse control, emotional reactions, focusing attention, prioritising competing information and having the ability to ignore external distractions. I just want to have a show of hands here tonight. Who here is under 25? Just loud and there you go. We are filled with a whole bunch of people whose prefrontal cortex is not yet developed. We're in a lot of trouble, people. Can we know this? We know that when you're young, there is a brashness, particularly with young men. I can speak for myself. And we know, it's not just us that know this. Insurance companies know this. I was talking, I was talking to a parent of a, of a teenage child just the other day, and she was lamenting the fact that she put her daughter uh, on their insurance for their car, and their bill had gone through the roof. She said, I almost had a cardiac arrest. Insurance companies know that there is something with young people, and they just, they're just a little bit more crazy. I know this for myself. I remember when I was a teenager, I was just nuts. I just did not think things through at all. I thought I was greater, stronger, had more capacity than I really had. I thought I was invincible. Anytime I got on a bike, I thought I was invincible. I did the dumbest things. as a I remember riding down the hill behind my sister as a teenager and thinking it'd be a really good idea just to tap my front wheel on her back wheel. I came flying off and off to the emergency. I went 10 stitches in my knee. 
I remember another time going down the same hill, but this time I was on a skateboard and my neighbour, who was about the same age as me, was riding his bike and I'm holding on to a piece of rope until I got the speed wobbles and I jumped off and managed to roll onto the grass off the pavement, but the skateboard went flying out and turned in in front of my uh, my mate who was on his bike and he hit the skateboard and, and he was totally messed up. <laughs> I, I remember a few years later, I was 17 years old. I was the age of Joseph. And maybe I've shared this story before, but I was with some mates and we were at this, this rock pools, a deep pool, but with all these rocks. And my mate jumped from a rock way out. And I thought, I can do that. Uh, lots of people watching. I took my glasses off. I'm short-sighted. Maybe that would be a trigger to say there's some issues here. I couldn't quite see properly, but I thought I'd be fine. I took a huge run up, lots of people watching, and I totally missed the edge of the rock and went straight down into the rocks and rolled into the pool. (laughs) Off to emergency again, 15 stitches in my knee. My uh, kneecap has been permanently moved. Did some dumb things. And then I remember, 17 years old, driving into the Department for Transport and Main Roads down at Wynnum, totally backing myself to get my licence. I remember rocking up in my parents' Ford Spectron of power and uh, I remember looking at the examiner and there was shock in his eyes. I thought, I've got this nailed. I remember reversing and hitting a a cone before I even got out of the driveway. (laughs) And I know I've shared the story because you know that I almost ran over a postie man on that exam. All that to say that when I got back, I failed and the man, the examiner told me, said, you have got a lot of work to do. There is something about teenagers at least in my case, where we overestimate our ability, but it's not just our overestimation of ability, it's also our just great capacity not to read the room. Like just emotional unintelligence. Let's just be honest. Like I just remember as a teenager being so cruel to my sister. Like my sister, a couple of years younger than me, going through significant you know, things in her life, a whole bunch of things, challenges, relationally. And I would just stick the needle in. I would just say cruel, cruel. There is something about... I don't know, young people, they can be so cruel. And I was so cruel. And, and Kylie, if you're watching, I'm so, I mean, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I know we've been working this through for the last 25 years. <laughs> you know, being a teenager, being young, means you overestimate your ability and there's an inability to read the room. But there's also something about being young where you carry dreams in your heart. There's almost something about it, that, that just freedom and abandon, that, that confidence and that sense of, I can do anything, that many of you carry and you should carry. Because it's when often God speaks into your heart. It's when you're filled with hope for the future. There's this sense that you can do anything and and God, as you begin to realise your gifts and your capacities, that God begins to speak dreams and promises into your heart. You know, as I spoke at the morning service, people, you know, mostly a lot older than you guys, and I said this, hey, do do you remember those times? And there was just this affirmation, yes. I remember when I was young. I remember when I had, and God gave me, dreams promises. Maybe in this season of your life, God is speaking promises and dreams into your heart. Let me tell you, they are really important. They'll shape your life. 
They'll change your life. The power of dreams are incredible. The power of promises in your life are incredible. They'll change your life. They'll change your community. They can change the world. That's the power of a dream. And it sits in the heart of those who are young. And Joseph was young, 17 years old, and he has a dream. God speaks a promise into his life and he grabs hold of it. And the content is of great importance. Remember how I said before that there's a, there's a family line, there's been a promise. There, there you go, there's a hyperlink, there's a dream. God has come and made a promise. He's made covenant to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I am choosing you out. I am making you a nation that will be a blessing to the nations of the world. And so this vision, the content that Joseph is being called out, that Joseph is going to hold a position of authority, is of significant importance in the longevity and the flourishing of the nation of Israel. This is an important promise. This is an important dream that God has spoken into the heart of Joseph. But whenever you receive a promise, if you've got a dream, it takes maturity and wisdom to understand it. And at 17 years old, Joseph doesn't have that maturity. Joseph is still selfish. He's still self-centered. He has character flaws and he has an inability to be able to even to understand or make sense of the promise. In fact, I don't think there was any way in which he could have fully understood what his visions meant about the, the sheaves and the stars and everything that was going on. How could you? But there was still an immaturity. In fact, I would say there was a sin in his life that meant that he didn't carry the promise well. I mean, here he is. He's an entitled young man. You know, he's been given a coat of honour. And he walks around with an arrogance and a hubris, which means that he can go to his brother and say, I had guy, guys, serious guys, just, just a moment. I know you're all older than me, but I've had this dream. And all you guys, you're going to be bowing down to me. I mean, he just doesn't know how to read the room. I mean, there is, there is an arrogance, there's a confidence, there's a, hu- there's a hubris there, but he just does not understand how to communicate to his siblings in any way, shape or form. See, because of his immaturity, because of his sin, because of his selfishness and his self-centeredness, Joseph does what I think many of us do with our dreams, with the promises of God. We make ourselves the hero of the story. You see, Joseph had said to himself, this is about me. This is about my glory rather than God's glory. And I reckon we do that too. And we carry these dreams where we feel like God's called us to do certain things, place certain things on our life. But it's so easy. It's so easy to make ourselves the centre of the story, to make ourselves the hero of the narrative. And it's understandable, right? Because that's what we're told in our culture. Our society just tells us, hey, this is all about your self-fulfilment. 
You just need to live your best life. This is all about you. That is the narrative in which we're invited into. That's what we're told every day. Live your best life. We live in a hyper-individualistic culture. So it's natural that we will want to put ourselves at the centre of the story. But what we end up doing is that we individualise the purposes of God. We take what is, to, is for the glory of God and for His purposes in our world today and we make it all about me. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up, and I grew, I'm a pastor's kid, so I kind of grew up in the church, and so I didn't have, you know, pop musicians, you know, posters on my walls in my bedroom. I had Bible verses, and, uh, and so I remember having this one Bible verse, it was like this kid on a dirt bike or something like that, and it had, it had Psalm, uh, Psalm 37, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will give you the, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will give you the desires of your heart, something like that, trust, trust in, or something like that. So that hasn't even gone into my prefrontal cortex, hadn't been developed then, so I don't remember. Psalm 37 verse 4, and it was this kind of this thing, yeah, no, it was this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There you go. I remembered it. I'm getting old. And it is also on the screen behind me. <laughs> now I delight you. Yeah, yeah, I delight myself in the Lord, but he will give me the desires of my heart. And I remember growing up thinking, yes. I, I mean, yes, I'll take the desires. I've got plenty of desires in my heart. I'll take all that God has to give me. Without, you know, without really realising what it means to take delight in the Lord, to actually live for his glory, to actually live for his renown, to actually delight in his purposes and his ways and recognise that every good thing comes from him, that actually everything I have is of his grace. My skills, abilities, my talent where I was born, the air I breathe, the food I eat, the resources I have, everything is a grace of God. Forget that part. Oh, I have the desires of my heart, thanks. See, we, we have this way so often of individualising the purposes of God. And so what does God do with Joseph? And this is a warning and it's also an encouragement. We see in the story of Joseph that he uses people and he uses circumstances to change the heart of Joseph and to change Joseph's perspective in order that God's purposes and his promises may come to fruition. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near, near Dothan. Can I just hit pause here? That's a really interesting part of the story. Like that didn't need to be in there. This whole kind of, oh, we went there, but they're not. I mean, he could have just gone and he went to Dothan and he found his brothers. 
Again, the, author, the authors do not waste words. They're trying to map a story here. The purposes of God, where Joseph will find himself at just the right moment. Let's keep reading. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Echoes back to Cain seeing Abel in a field. Hyperlink back to Genesis chapter 4 if you want to read a little bit later. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him, to, throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said, to, Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. We read here that the promise that God gave to Joseph has actually gone in reverse. So we see here in the story of, of Joseph, remember, his promise was, the promise was that he would be elevated, that he would be lifted up, that he would be above his brothers. And in the next scene, we see that Joseph is, and this is intentional language, he is sent out from his family. And then he is caught by his brothers who decide they're going to dispense with him. And they throw him down into a pit. They throw him down into a cistern. And then the, the, the language is interesting that we read then that the, these traders were heading, and the language is intentional, they were heading down to Egypt. And he is sold to these traders where he is sent down to Egypt. You'd imagine Joseph right now, remember, he has positioned himself, God has promised, he's, he's, he'd received this vision, this promise that he is going to stand above his brothers and his family and they are going to bow down. The very next move is he finds himself literally and metaphorically underneath his brothers being sold into slavery and being sent down to Egypt. You imagine what Joseph is feeling as he sits in this empty well. Despair, confusion, discouragement, fear, doubt. Where are you, God? You promised, you said that, that, that this would be my story and now I find myself sitting in a dank cistern waiting to die. 
being sold into slavery, being sent away from my family in slavery down to Egypt. How could you do this? How could this be so? You know, these emotions of how could you, God, these emotions of doubt, these emotions of despair and disappointment are very human emotions. I reckon you've all, we've all experienced those. We had hope in our hearts that something would happen. We thought this would happen or that. And, we, and you've still got these in your heart. I know for many of you young people, you know, you've got hopes for your career or you thought that things would work out in a relationship. Things would work out financially or with your study. You thought that you, you felt that God had called you to a certain place or a space where you'd be doing certain things. You'd be taking certain opportunities that life would work in a certain way. You were sure God was going to do what he, he'd said or however that would have, that's worked out for you in your heart and mind. And it hasn't happened. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're just going, right now I'm on the edge of doubt. I'm on the edge of giving it away. And imagine for Joseph sitting in that, in that pit or as he was dragged down to Egypt. Going, Where are you, God? Are you even real? Do you even care? What, what are you going on about? I reckon we've all, we all feel this. I reckon that we live in a time both in our culture and also in the church that sets us up for failure, that sets us up for disappointment, that sets us up to push against God or to feel like God has abandoned us. See, the, the secular narrative is all about Happiness. I know we've spoken about this before. But we're told that your existence is all about happiness. Live your best life, as I said before. And so we're sold every day of the week through every media agency that there is or through our friends, through universities, whatever it is. Live your best life. You need to go and have that, experience that, do that, achieve that, whatever it is. And if you do, you will be fulfilled. The problem is it's a moving target. You get this thing and then it's the next thing. You get to that place and then the next thing. You go and see that thing and then it's the next thing. It's a never-ending cycle. Why? Because it just keeps dragging you along. It's the way in which the world works. And so we live with this continual disappointment it's the way in which our secular world is set up, but, but it's also set up often in, mis, in misdirected theology in the church. You see, we think so easily that God becomes a vending machine for us. You know, we, we, we can think about prosperity gospel, if you heard that, you know, that God is just out there to keep you happy and give you everything that you want. But really all that is, is rehash religion. But we all do it in certain ways. And here's how the thinking goes. If I do this, then God will give me this. If I pray enough, then God will give me this. If I'm just holy enough or I just do enough good things, then I will deserve this. See, it actually, it's, it's a false kind of religion. It, religion. It's actually karma religion, which says, if you do good things, then you will get good stuff. 
Now, there is a general reality to a whole bunch of stuff, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is all about grace. God gives us freely. He is generous to us, but he doesn't say, hey, if you become a Christian, if you become a follower of me, everything is going to be happily ever after. That has never been the promise of God. But if we approach God like that, then we'll get angry with God. Because the reality is, is life isn't happily ever after. God never promised it, and so we cannot expect it. Here's how I think, and I've, I've got our best graphic designers to actually design up some things for me, some graphs for me. Here's the first one, and here is a... Uh, Here's how we think that God works in our life. We become a Christian or we get a promise from God and there's the fulfilment of the promise and it's a nice straight, you can see that, right? It's just the way in which the graph has been drawn out. That was me on, on, uh, on notes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, that's how we see life and we see following the promise of God and getting the dream in our heart, how that looks like. Can I show you how it usually works? This is how life works. This is Joseph's life, and we're going to journey through his life. You know, it's, it's not all plain sailing. There are ups and downs. There's things, there are times when we actually go through the floor. And then we will get, go, go up and then we'll down and then up and then we'll go up. And here's the beautiful thing about the promises of God, which I just want to point out, it goes beyond time. And it goes far, far further than we could ever imagine or think because we are drawn into the promises of a God that goes far beyond this life. It's cosmic. It's great. It's wonderful. It's powerful. That is who God is. That's the story that he's invited us into. And here's the thing, and this is, we'll see this in the story of Joseph's life, and you need to understand about your life as well. God uses, can we go back to that map just for a moment? God uses the dips and the troughs to shape our life, shape our character. You know, when you're in these moments, there is no way you can even expect to see up there. And the thing is with Joseph, there's no way that he could down here or even here understand what his visions would mean because he had no context for it. But this is what I do know. If Joseph had not descended, if Joseph had not gone down to the pit, he would not have ascended. If Joseph had not gone down and suffered, his character would not have been shaped and formed. He would not have found himself in Egypt and he would not have been, ultimately we'll hear about this in weeks to come, he wouldn't have been the agent to save the people of Israel. We can't see, we can't know, but God uses the turbulent times to shape our character, to form us and to move us towards his purposes, purposes that we cannot even fully understand. So how do we walk with this purpose? How do we walk with these promises? How do we carry our dreams well? Just, just four things really quickly. 
How do you carry your dreams? Well, firstly, you need to carry them lightly and with an open hand. Maybe you've got a dream. Maybe someone's prayed over you. Maybe you've got this sense. This is, this is what I am called to do. I believe that God has given me this. He's promised me this. So I want to say, firstly, carry it lightly. Carry it with an open hand. As soon as you try and grab hold of it and control it, you'll ruin it. Allow God to do what he needs to do because remember, just like Joseph, you actually can't see how it's all gonna get fulfilled and you actually probably don't even know the full picture of it anyway. Carry it lightly. Don't grab hold of it because it will ultimately crush you. Secondly, don't carry your, your dreams, your promises alone. Now, no, I'm not saying go all Joseph and tell people, hey, listen, God's told me I'm actually going to be dot, dot, dot. I'm actually going to be the saviour of the world. I mean, just keep it quiet, but, you know, I'm actually Jesus 2.0. Oh, it's just nonsense anyway, but they'll probably say, hey, listen, you need to go and see a specialist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Say, hey, listen, this is what I'm discerning. Allow people who will encourage you and speak truth to keep cheering you on in your character development, in your pursuit of the things God has called you to do. Carry, don't carry them alone. Carry your promises and your dreams in the light of God's greater purpose and what God is wanting to do. Again, this challenges the whole individualistic thing. What has God called you to do, but how does it fit in the great story? Don't make it all about you because if you do, you've got a Joseph narrative coming up for you. I remember that this has been part of the journey of even planting this church. You know, when Megs and I moved back from the UK, we came back with intent to plant an inner city church. That was what was on our heart. They were the conversations we had with Gateway when we returned. That was always our purpose. That was the dream and the promise in our heart. It took six years until we were able to celebrate planting this church here in the city and it's far different from what I expected or imagined. But those six years, God had to do a whole bunch of work in my heart. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of character development. There were a lot of tears. Allow God to work in your heart. Don't make it about you in that journey for me, God changed me. He took away the things that I was holding on to where I was making it about me and he continues to do it in my life. To open my heart and say, God, what are you doing in this city, in our nation for your kingdom? And how can I, can, how can Megs and I, how can we as a church play our part? Live out your dreams in the context of God's greater purpose. And my final point, it's my big idea. Don't focus on the promise. Focus on the God of the promise. Don't focus on the promise. Focus on the God of the promise. Joseph got through, if we got that, that map back again. See, here's the thing. I think the reason that Joseph made it was because he focused on the God in which he loved and served. And even though it was painful for him, that is how he kept his eyes moving, how he kept his life moving forward. He kept his eyes on God. And we see here a glimpse. 
We see here a glimpse of the gospel at work in Joseph's life and in the great story. Let's just land. Let's, let me read this last part of the narrative. Genesis 37 verse 29. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave again in the pit. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midians sold Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. It was really interesting here as we see again some of these hyperlinks, some of these motifs in these last bits of the story here. We see, firstly, that there is a, uh, there's an animal that has to die. So even though Joseph hasn't died, there has been an animal that has died in his place to bloodstain this coat in order that Jacob would believe that Joseph is dead. This is a narrative that runs through Genesis. We see right, in, right back in Genesis chapter 3 that, that God Himself kills an animal and makes a coat for Adam and Eve to protect them as they head out of the Garden of Eden. It's an act of grace. An animal dies in order that Adam and Eve may be protected and kept warm. As we journey through the story of Abraham, we see that Finally, when he has his son, Isaac, God asks Abraham to take him up and sacrifice him. It's a confusing story. It's a very deep and rich story. But if you know it, Isaac is not sacrificed, but a ram that's caught in a thicket is sacrificed in his stead. And again, we see an animal slaughtered, the blood put on the coat we see this motif of one dying so another may live. You know, there's another someone who thousands of years later is sold into slavery for coins of silver. There's another one who finds themselves in a prison, in a pit. There's another one whose cloak is stripped off them and bartered for at the foot of the cross. See, the motifs that we see in Genesis work their way right through to the life of Jesus Christ. When God chooses to step down from heaven to earth and walk amongst us, there are echoes and shades of the gospel Right here in Genesis, we see images of God who ultimately comes down. And in our brokenness, in our sin, in our shame, in our self-centeredness, God says, I love you so much 
that I will die for you. I will sacrifice my life for you. I will die for you so you may be redeemed, so you may be rescued, so that you may be restored to me. I am fulfilling the covenantal promise that was made all the way back to Abraham, that through the line of Israel, all nations will be blessed. And at the cross, as Jesus dies in a mountain in Jerusalem, all nations are blessed. All nations are invited back into relationship with God. That is the beauty and the wonder of the promise of God. And that is what we ultimately get to hold on to. Amongst all the other promises that that we may hold on to, we know that the God of the promise is the one who ultimately fulfills all promises in Him. I want you to know this tonight. At the cross, when Jesus died for you and for me and when He rose again into new life, He fulfilled every promise. And for you, when you put your faith and you trust in Him, Ultimately, one day He will redeem and restore your life. That's what He does. That's what He does. And that is what we hold on to. For those of you who are walking through despair and doubt and discouragement and questions, those of you here tonight who are unsure about where God is in your life, for those of you who are trying to figure out through the disappointments of your life where God is at work, my encouragement to you is God has revealed Himself. He has shown His faithfulness and His kindness to every one of us through coming and revealing Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. More than that, dying for you. Dying for you. Sacrificing Himself for you in order that you may live in order that you may know freedom and life for eternity. You know, God has given us a whole bunch of promises. As we read through the New Testament in Christ, we can take hold of the promises that are found in Him. And I'm just gonna give you some. I want you to grab hold of these. You can write them down. You can take photos of them. You can ask me later on for them. But these are promises that are true for you right now in Christ. You know, if you're feeling alone right now, if you're feeling alone tonight, Jesus says in Matthew, I am with you even to the end of the age. If you're feeling exhausted, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you're feeling worried, Jesus says, cast your anxieties on me. Or Peter says, cast your anxieties on Christ for He cares for you. He cares for you. If you're feeling weak, Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength I need. If you're feeling condemned tonight, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of you here tonight who are feeling shame, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of unrighteousness. And if you are feeling unloved tonight, nothing, neither height nor depth nor anything in creation can separate us from the love of God. 
Why? Because of the cross, it is more powerful than anything. They are the promises of God. Do they give you hope? Do they give you an assurance? They should. They should. We have a great promise. That promise is held in Jesus. Hey, I wonder whether we can stand right now. Can I just stand to our feet? I'm going to get the band to come up. Jesus walks with us. No matter the story, the journey of your life, the ups and the downs, the challenges as you have and you carry this dream and these promises in your heart, the truth is that Jesus has walked the journey. He has gone before you and He is with you now. I will never leave you, Jesus says, nor will I forsake you. I'm with you. Jesus is with you in the journey. We're going to sing a song, The Goodness of God, tonight. Declares by faith. And we need to declare this by faith, who God is. I encourage you, just as we sing this song, and we're going to do a bit of ministry in the moment, but I just love for us to sing for this point. Just to, just to sing with faith. And just join in worship. No matter what you're going through right now, say, God, I fix my eyes on you. For those of you who are walking through discouragement, doubt, despair, again, lift your heart and your eyes to Him. Come on, let's sing the goodness of God. Let's declare this. Worship Him. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.